What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. The Falcons get off the Schneid Kalal, and we are Atlanta's own. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports. Wacky-ass hijinks and analysis presented by the Pigskin Podcast Network. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's going very, very well, my friend. I'm so happy to sit here being a one and two football team right now. This would be a depressing show if we were 0-3. If we were the Raiders. Yeah, there is a ridiculous amount of parody in the NFL right now. Like, parody or parity? Parody. Very good. Did I say parity? It sounded like you said parody. No, no, no. You're mistaken, sir. Parody. Um, sound like parody again. <laughs> I guess that's just how I say the word. Maybe so. Parody. Lots of people making jokes about a lot of teams in the NFL right now. Lots of parodies going on. We understand what you're trying to say. Adam's like, I'd be like, I will kill you. Yes, I, that's just how I pronounce that word. That's fine. It's funny to you, me. You're going to have to deal with that one, Graham. Uh, I'm but, enjoying it. Yeah, uh, we're not. The Raiders are the only 0-3 team left. I think there's only oh, the Dolphins, the only 3-0 team. The Eagles, too, I think. Oh, the Birds. Yeah, you know, it's people are all excited about these Eagles. I don't. They haven't played anyone, you know. They played Washington. They destroyed them. They destroyed some other shit team and another shit team. We're, we're full of we're all, shit and we're all not information this. today. We're all over this. The, yeah, yeah. The, the Dolphins and the Eagles are the only 3-0 teams. But, uh, yeah, Falcons got off the schneid, as you say, Graham, which is uh, very exciting. Yeah, nice. Uh, I don't know if it's nice, but a uh, 27-23 victory over Seattle in harsh conditions, a drone delay. And uh, obviously, their demented, rabid fan base over there. There's a lot of good things to take away from this game. There's some bad things to take away from this game, like all games. But the big news is obviously the Falcons win. But I think the bigger news, Adam, basically, I'm loving what I'm seeing from your boy, Corderell Patterson. Second in the NFL overall in rushing, set a career high of like, I don't know, 149 yards rushing last week, or it was 141, something like 141. that. 141. 8.3 yards per carry. <laughs> Uh, was an absolute monster, particularly in the second half. I think a hundred and at least a hundred yards came in the second half alone. Yeah, I mean this this offense, man. We're a top ten offense right now. I think we're number eight overall in the league, and um, you got three weapons, three legitimate weapons, and Patterson, Pitts, and Drake London, the rookie wide receiver who's just off to a fantastic start, scored his uh, second. NFL touchdown on Sunday. How sweet was his touchdown grab? Yeah, slick, man. Yeah, I was like, catch it, spin, get around another guy, and then get into the end zone. Um, he just has, like like we've been saying the last two weeks, his route running ability, his hands, the speed, the power, everything's there for Drake London. He's just um, as good as advertised. Actually, I'd say better than advertised so far. The running game is opening up the passing game and, and vice versa. Like, you know, with uh, Arthur Smith obviously listening to all the fans that have been complaining about the lack of deep balls to Pitts and just the overall lack of usage with Pitts starts up this game with a, you know, 50-yard throw down the middle of the field. is wide open. Mariota overthrows him. I hear the wind is to be blamed. Oh, yeah. That uh, Seattle wind. I think it was also to be blamed for that first loss against the Saints when he missed some receivers, too, when we were in the inside the great anus with the with the sure the roof closed yeah right yeah but uh you know at least it, it gets the defenders thinking you see that that tight end just 
running past all those cornerbacks and safeties just easily. That's in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. And then you just hand the ball off to Patterson and let him do his thing. He just runs downhill. He runs hard. It's uh, impressive how he's seemingly getting better with age. Well, he's just and he's in the right system now. Yeah, he's running over people. Um, It's really fascinating to watch how he has no fear. Maybe fascination is not the word, but I mean it's just relentless. Like uh, the reason I'm fascinated by it is because he didn't slow down, like you're saying. I mean, you just continued to get stronger as the game went on and was just running over people. He was taken out like. I mean, there is like a big free safety that the Seahawks have. I can't remember his name, but he's like 6'3", 230 something, um, you know, big guy. And he just runs right over him, no problem. He's blocking people too on plays when he's not uh, really involved offensively. I mean, Cordell's just a dog. He has that, he has the attitude of a defender we would love to have on the Hawks. That's Cordell Patterson, except he's your featured running back too. Um, well, and you know what? The passing game didn't really need to be all that effective because Quarterell was so good. Like Kyle Pitts finally had a good game. Um, got the most targets on the team. He got four catches, I think, on that opening drive. Five catches for 87 yards. Um, we mentioned London with a touchdown, but he only had three catches for 54, which is, you know, a great ratio, 18 yards a catch. But the passing game wasn't really that great. It was all Quarterell. I mean, Mariota only completed 13, uh, 13 passes throughout the whole game. So... This this win is is really on the back of the offensive line and Corderell Patterson, in my opinion. I mean, the defense did some good things too. Don't get me wrong, but Corderell easily uh, gets the game ball. Yeah, I mean, Mariota's doing enough, though. You know, he's he had his one moment in the fourth quarter when you know everyone in Falcons Nation just died inside when he seemingly just. I mean, he not seemingly he did fumble the ball seemingly for no reason. That's the thing that bugs me about Mariota. It's like 99% of the time when Matt Ryan fumbled the balls because he got absolutely destroyed. And yeah, he could have held into some of the balls he fumbled. But it's like Mariota's had like two really, really bad fumbles that are completely 1,000% his fault that are no one else but him. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be like miscommunications with uh, that one was with Algier, the rookie running back where uh, Mariota said he got a little selfish and wanted to run it himself when he should have just kept it with Algier and... Some of them do seem just like, you know, these guys are just playing with each other for the first time. So it seems like things that could possibly be cleaned up. Yeah. Um, his only pick in this game was the end of the first half. Arthur Smith took blame for that, said, lesson learned. I'm never going to do that again. Some ridiculous trick play of sorts that he was trying out with four seconds on the clock oh, instead, yeah, of, stupid. instead of just uh, taking the knee. Yeah. But, um, you know, Mariota's been fine. He's... Kind of what we thought he was, a league yeah. average quarterback. But if he, that. But it, the threat of running with him, I think, keeps things interesting um, and does open up like some of the deep balls that we have been seeing hit with a little more regularity. Like They were ready for him, though. He did not really get anything going on the ground in this game compared to the other, other games. Only rushed for four yards and seven attempts. So he was, not, he was not good running the ball. He was good scrambling like he does, but in terms of being an actual producer on the ground, he didn't do shit in this game. No, not not st- not statistically for sure. But you're right; the threat is there. You gotta respect it. But I thought the Seahawks did a good job of containing him. One thing I really appreciated in this game, Adam, was the Falcons' ability to break up a lot of passes. They had eight on the day, three of which were by AJ Terrell, and I think two of his passes defended were balls in the end zone, 
that were either one of them was definitely directed towards Metcalf, DK Metcalf. I can't remember if both of them were, but he broke both of them up and they were they were the things that you expect to see from AJ Terrell. You know, absolutely tight ass coverage on the ball, making big plays to prevent the other team from making big plays. It was exactly what we wanted. You know, we talked about how he was getting kind of burned a little bit this year, you know, burned by uh, the return of Michael Thomas on the Saints, absolutely destroyed by Allen Robinson on that one play against the Rams. You know, he was just, it was just things that were like, hmm, those were things you normally don't see from A.J. Terrell. So it was great seeing him once again going up against a big game receiver like Metcalf and, you know, for all intents and purposes, shutting him down. He had five catches for 64 yards, but he could have had a lot more if Terrell is not on him like glue on those plays. Yeah, I mean, we have run into some just beastly wide receivers in these first three games, yeah. and it's kind of just been on Terrell to try to lock them down one-on-one, and you're not going to win all those battles. No, but it was good to see him win oh, absolutely. the majority yeah. of them um, on, on Sunday because I was like, dude, like we really need you to, to step up and make some big plays, and he did exactly that on Sunday. Yeah, he, he made some solid improvement. Um the young safeties, Grant and Hawkins, I thought had a pretty good game overall. Um, yeah, Richie Grant with the game-winning interception. Yep, his first career. So that's that's awesome to see him kind of starting to look like a second-round pick now in year two for him. Uh, but overall, the defense was just like god-awful the first half. <laughs> just yeah. like unbelievably gave, bad. But gave up 20 points. They tightened things up. Finally got to the quarterback a couple times in the second half and really saved the game for us getting that stop um, after the Mariota fumble. So, you know, three three points in the second half is all they gave up. So you'll you'll take that. You like to see the consistency going forward. But you know, I think they're they're a unit also still learning how to play with each other. So you know, th- this team's scrappy. Like we've been saying, I, I I don't see them getting blown out much this year. Like I don't know if they're gonna. 100% learn how to win yet, but I think they're going to be in a lot of ball games and really sneak up on a lot of people that aren't expecting us to be there. They're absolutely competitive. Absolutely competitive. And another guy I got to give a <clears throat> shout out to is Grady Jarrett. Had one of those Grady games where he just sort of wrecked shop in the, in the backfield, had a sack, three tackles for a loss. Um, it was the kind of thing you expect just to see from Grady, and it was great to see him you know, really put his stamp on this game defensively when you're right. The defense, particularly in the first half was, was bad, but Grady was there making impact plays. You know, it was so weird seeing those four sacks against the saints in that one game. It was like, what the hell Falcons haven't really been able to measure up to that since then, but you're right. This is still a team in transition. Take the small victories literally when you can get them. And, uh, you know, we continue to see the progression of, of people like like Drake London, um, you know, once again, being a major contributor. And Cordero Patterson is now the second leading rusher in the NFL, right behind Nick Chubb, who we're going to play this week. Um, you know, Richie Grant making that big play. You know, we, we've been talking about how we need other guys that we don't expect to make big plays. And Richie Grant was one of the people I think we talked about in our season preview show. So that was it was like um, great foreshadowing. I guess on our part to be like Richie Grant, we got to see Richie Grant do something, and he absolutely did. He sa- he he, dan- he probably saved the game because you know how this normally ends for the Falcons when they make a big turnover like that. So it was uh, a welcome sight to see the Falcons actually win a game and not choke another one away. Well, apparently Saturday night they had a big 
player run meeting to kind of just like air everything out. And, you know, Corderell was very vocal and that he was just like, I am not f- fucking going home with an L. I've been out here for two weeks. It's not happening. We're getting a win tomorrow. And, you know, everyone just said it was very positive. It's kind of what they needed. And uh, it appears to have worked for them, especially kind of, you know, once the defense was just giving up touchdown after touchdown in the first half, I was like, oh, Lord, here we go again. But, you know, offense kept battling, kept them in the game, and defense figured it out in the second half. So, I like this move by Arthur Smith. I like this move to say, you know, Let's sort of air out everything that's going on because there's probably a lot of unresolved tension going on in the locker room, I would think, where it's like, especially guys that have been there for a while, you know, potentially could be walking on eggshells. And, and you know, we've seen this movie a million times before. Who knows what's going on in the mind of the players? But I think to be able to say everyone can speak freely, let's just get around and talk about it and get our heads right. Not to say they were wrong, but, you know, really get our heads screwed on tight before this game it was a great move by Arthur Smith. And I, and I like moves like this by, by coaches. It shows that they're not just going to keep doing the same thing week in and week out if things aren't working. If you're not producing winning results, change it up. And that's what they did. Yeah, speaking of changing things up in this coaching staff, uh, there's a decent amount made of Brian Edwards not even being active this week. He's Yeah, the receiver. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like, you know, Arthur Smith, they, they actually use their practice squad and they look at the matchups for what is needed. And because like Brian Edwards, you know, he hasn't had an amazing start. I think he still has a future with this team and you shouldn't look into that too much, but they're like, yeah, you know what? Frank Darby has been awesome on special teams as a gunner. Uh, we think we need him more in this game. It kind of, de- they're basing it on the opponent, not just be like, we're going to run these same guys out every single week, no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is refreshing. And I, I think that just will continue to build that like competitive atmosphere. We'll, where people know like, Hey, if I play well, I have a chance. It doesn't matter what the contract is, how long someone's been there. I have a chance to play. Right. Or if I play like shit, my, my ass is on notice. Exactly. So, you know, I think this is a, I feel good about Arthur, Arthur Smith right now. Yeah, me too. I think, and like, I love that he's able to admit his mistakes. He admitted not going for him fourth down was dumb against the, the saints. He admitted that play at the end of the, the first half against the Seahawks was completely stupid. You know, it's like he's able to like there's so many coaches that will just say I was right. It doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but he's actually taking into account like, hey, maybe there was another way I could have gone. And that's just refreshing to hear. And I know the the media is all like he's very chirpy. He's very short with us and blah, 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 blah. But I mean, I think if you like we've talked about last week, if you really listen to what he says and don't take any of his quotes out of context and listen to the complete press conference. He paints a picture of being a, a fair dude, um, I think. And, yeah, he got a little worked up after that Saints game, but I, I don't really care. I, I, I'm more interested in seeing how this team plays on the field, And even though there are a lot of problems, like we talked about the defense playing like trash in the first half, um, et cetera, right? It's, it's just kind of like I like the mentality of this team. I like how they don't quit, and I like how they are playing together as a unit and that they can rally when they aren't playing well. I mean, to go from giving up 20 points – in the first half to only giving up three in the second against a, admittedly a Seattle Seahawks team that isn't very good at still showing they had the, the ability to make adjustments in the second half and they recognize their mistakes. Unlike so many past regimes in this franchise. 
Well, and he's doing more with less. Like he's got a top 10 offense right now with Marcus Mariota, where you look at like Denver and Russell Wilson and what their offenses looked like early right. on. Like we're moving the ball. Yeah. yeah every and, damn drive. Yeah. There's and, not many three and outs from this team. And kudos to the offensive line continuing again to protect Mariota overall. He, he was sacked three times. Um, but we've seen much worse games from this unit before. And that was without Wilkinson. Wilkinson wasn't even in this game. Well, that's what you love to see is you can you could sub in, I think Gossett played for Wilkinson and like, you know, it still looked fine. Although I think I did see the stat where like we have the the worst pressure rate, but they're not getting to Mariota. So like if Matt Ryan were back there, he might be completely right. dead after three games. There, there's tons of plays, if you really watch it, there's tons of plays that are designed to immediately get Mariota outside the pocket so that he has the ability to extend a play. Um, so, yeah, kudos to the offensive line for being a little better. But also, yes, with your personnel at quarterback now, you can expand the playbook a little bit. They just look meaner. They look tougher than they've been in the past. And, I mean, you, you don't have – I mean, Corderell's averaging 6.2 yards per attempt. That doesn't happen without good offensive line play. They're opening holes for him. Oh, yeah, and, no, and he's, for sure. And he's giving them credit. For sure, for sure. Like, yeah, there's really no way to mask – a bad running game. You know, I mean, like if your running back isn't very good, your offensive line can definitely help out. But if that running back's not doing what they need to do, then it's like, Ew. but when you're, you know, when your offensive line and your running back are working in tandem, we're seeing the, 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 the fruit that that can bear. And it is bountiful at this time. I like this team, Graham. Yeah, they're a lot more fun to watch than last year's team. Even though it's the same regime, they're a lot more fun to watch than any Dan Quinn team since like 20, Probably the Super Bowl team, honestly. Even that team that went to the playoffs that lost to the Eagles was annoying as hell to watch because the offense sucked so much. So it was like this team with no pressure on it, really. We're just watching the evolution, man, and, and we're along for the ride and enjoying it so far. And you're seeing, like, smart personnel decisions by Fontenot as well. It's like we all loved Foyer. We didn't want to see him go. But then you got Michael Walker stepping up as the next star. And it's like, okay, this is that's how you want to do things. You want to have young guys ready to step into a bigger role and not spend all this money on free agents like past regimes have done. So while you hate to see players like that go, it, if you want to build a sustainable franchise, you got to do it. Well, yeah, there's, there's that. But there's also thinking back to smart decisions by Fontenot, bringing in a low-salary guy who was a free agent like Lorenzo Carter, who's made impact plays, who had a sack on Sunday, big fumble recovery a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, doing that, being smart with what you have to work with and bringing in a guy that can contribute immediately, that's not going to cost you long term. That's not really going to cost you that much short term, is also just a sign of once again why Fontenot, one of the reasons why Fontenot got this job, his ability to evaluate low cost free agents to really bolster a roster. Yeah, Graham, so we'll see where this goes at the end of next week. I won't be here next week, but we could be talking about the first place Atlanta Falcons. Huh. First place, could that is that possible? Tied for first place with the Saints if they all lose. The oh, sorry, tied for first place with the Bucks. The Bucks have Kansas City. Right. I think they're going to lose that. The Bucks offense is really bad this year. Oh, yeah. Believe it or not, Julio Jones is injured again, Graham. No way. Who would have thought? Who would have thought when he only played like six games last year for Tennessee? This division, I think, is winnable. <laughs> I think you're getting way ahead of yourself. I we are to, still not very good against the run. We're I, I still did, not very good against the I pass. had to pause when I said that, but I think the Saints are really bad. Uh, the Panthers are really bad. 
And I think it's going to take the Bucks a while to get going. This could be just a slog fest where if you can win like eight games, you got a chance. Yeah, maybe. It's just, it's going to come, like, I think this is going to be a really good test for for the Falcons uh, coming up. We play Cleveland at home on Sunday. Cleveland is currently tied for first in the AFC North for whatever that's worth. But they're starting to find their offensive identity a little bit with Jacoby Brissett. I watched that Thursday night game against when they played the Steelers. They got a really balanced running attack with Nick Chubb, who leads the NFL in receiving yards, not receiving yards, excuse me, rushing yards. I think that's the third time I've said that now. Just drill it into your head, people. And they also got Kareem Hunt, who's a really good complimentary back. And Brissett has has been really solid. And they were really figuring it. They were moving the ball like crazy against the Steelers on Thursday. Not to say they're going to do the same thing to us, but we are not good against the run. We're not that great against the pass. So how the defense is going to have to try and step up and win this game, I think. And, you know, we're probably, you know, and like the Seahawks aren't very good, right? I mean, let's just, let's just be honest. Like the Browns are a much better team than, than Seattle. So it's like, it is hard to go on the road and get a win in the NFL against any team. But now you're coming back home, you're playing a solid opponent, a much better opponent than who you just played last week. How the Falcons react? Do they ride high? Or they go back to work, put their nose to the grindstone, and once again be competitive. I expect them to be competitive, but this is going to be a much tougher game. We got to learn how to win at home. Yeah, because we we can't do that We're very well. One in seven in the Arthur Smith regime Whoa. at Mercedes Benz Stadium. One of our home wins last year was in London. But <laughs> overall, it's this is a winnable game. It will be interesting going up against the top rusher in the league. See how our defense overall. I think we've been okay against the run. We're bottom we, we, ten in the league, uh, according to DVOA. What, what does that mean? It's basically Adam a uh, advanced analytic for you. It's basically your your team war kind of thing. It's a team's efficiency by comparing success on every single play to a league average based on situation and opponent. We are bottom ten in the statistic against the run. So it's a, a made up stat. It's made up stat, but. People use it a lot to evaluate how uh, teams will do in terms of predictions of how they will fare in their games. I'll give it the eye test Sunday, Graham. We'll, we'll see how it looks. Okay. As it, when I rewatch it on a extended YouTube video in Greece, um, you'll have uh, hard hitting analysis whenever you return. I will. So Browns, that's a winnable game, though. I think at the Bucks is a little more winnable than you would think as well at this point. I'm not impressed with them. 49ers is now a winnable 49ers game. 49ers are terrible. You got Garoppolo, Garoppolo in there. Garoppolo is a loser. Bengals are 1-2, and two, not looking very impressive either. Panthers are terrible. Chargers just lost to the Jaguars. So we're going to go on a 7. Panthers again. 8-game winning streak. 9-game winning streak. Commanders suck. 10-game winning Steelers streak. 11-game winning streak. Yes. <laughs> so by that point, when is the Steelers game? The Steelers, that's before I buy. The Steelers are week 13. So the Falcons will be, I'm just putting it on the book right now. He's making the bet. He's going to Vegas. He's not really going to Greece. He's going to Vegas. 11-2 and two by week 13 is what is what Adam's saying right now. 10-game winning streak. Yeah, n- none of those games scare me is what I'm saying. I could be, uh, si- I could be sitting here in three weeks. We're 1-5, and, and I'm sad again. But... I don't think that's going to happen, Graham. That's my two cents, though. That's your two cents. What do I know? I like your I like your enthusiasm after damn near choking away a game to one of I would say one of the lesser teams in the league. 
They were scrappy too, though. They're scrappy. Don't they get me wrong. They played pretty well. They didn't play great, but yeah, they're they're scrappy. They're scrappy for sure. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not super concerned about the Browns defensively. They are doing a good job of limiting the run game. I think they're holding teams to around 85 yards, uh, 85 yards a game, giving about 240 yards passing a game. That's the 85 yards per game on the on the ground given up is like top 10 in the league. So pretty good run defense, pass defense, solid. Not getting a ton of sacks. They only get they only gotten seven sacks through three games, um, which is around what we have. So I'm not like too concerned about that. And they don't really have like a ton of people on the defense that make me freak out either. I, I'm like, for the exception of Miles Garrett, who's an absolute freak. He's got three sacks already on the season, uh, four tackles for loss. Definitely got to contain him. That's going to be a well, key. I don't think that's going to be an issue because he was in a car crash yesterday. He was in a car crash. Oh yeah, I heard about that. Transfer. So you think he might be he might be out of there, out of the game this week. Swerved to avoid an animal on a wet road, overcorrected, causing his vehicle to flip multiple times. Oh, Jesus. Poor guy. He's been released from the hospital, but um, I don't think he'd come back and play the next week after that. Yeah, maybe not. He's wearing a seatbelt. Good for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm more concerned about the Browns offensively, though. Just Chubb and Hunt and Cooper's a really good receiver. Amari Cooper's on their team. So I, I still think that this game comes down to can we actually be effective against the Browns' solid run run defense, and can we contain uh, the Browns on the ground? If we cannot do that, I think the Browns run away with this game. But if we do, it's competitive and we can win. Well, I'm excited to see because overall, I mean, yeah, Cooper's fine, um, but he's not as good as those receivers we've played so far. I would agree with and that. And this gives our defense the opportunity to play a little more man instead of the zone, and then we can blitz a lot more and maybe get get after the quarterback like we were doing game one against the Saints. Right. I think I, some of these zone schemes we've been seeing is because of these top-notch receivers you've been going up against. So, Right, um, and now the focus is on, on containing the run. Like you got to stack 7-8 in the box and really try to make sure that you're not getting beaten on the ground. Like if Amari Cooper beats you, so be it. Don't let, don't let Chubb and, and Hunt just run all over you all day. So the, the defense, I think you're right, is going to be more in man they're going to be stacking the box and and hopefully contain doing their best to contain this rushing attack. You got a prediction for this game, Graham? I think the Browns win a close game. Like it's going to be like tw- like twenty seven twenty three or something like that. Twenty four twenty. I don't think it's going to be very high scoring, but I think it's uh, it's going to be a close one. But I think Cleveland's going to going to eke it out. Unfortunately, is what I'm what I'm thinking right now. I think they're a little more talented than we are, but I think we're going to give them a. A hell of a game, though. I mean, I, I don't like the Falcons are always going to play you hard, which I never thought I'd say. But like, I, I am in full support of, of that sentiment after watching this team. I know it's only been three games, but the the balls they showed against the Rams in particular to come back from that deficit on the road like that, that, that tells me all I need to know about where this team is at in terms of their fire and their competitiveness. 32-22 Falcons. Uh, 10-point victory. Yeah. The first, uh, so this will be the eleven, the, the second of the 11-game winning streak. Correct. Got it. But okay. we're going to be up like 32-3, so it's going to be very <laughs> scary at the end. We're going to put all our uh, our subs in and start to start to collapse a little bit, but yeah. then, then right but the then, ship at the end. Then tighten it up. Get, yeah. get a pick or something exactly. around the clock. Yep. I like where your head's at. But yeah, we, we, seriously, though, we got to start winning at home, man. Like It's good to know how to win on the road, but... 
you got to have some sort of home field advantage. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the hell it is in that building, but I don't know either. I guess all you can do is win and just hope that people show up. Well, that's the thing is that like, and, and Arthur Smith is, he actually talked specifically about that. He's like in business, I've been told from the very beginning, you got to put a good product on the field in order to make money. And he was equating it to the fans as well. We got to start winning in this building so we can get a home field advantage. Yeah. I mean, I will say this about the Falcons fans uh, that go to the games more regularly than we do. They, I mean, people showed up for week one. I'm expecting people to show up for what is this week four? Right at this point, but eventually you got to win in the building. You and then do we keep coming. You do, but I, I expect after last week's win, the same people that were hyped up a couple of weeks ago are going to be hyped up this week too. Sure, sure. Um, might not be as big of an attendance, but I, I think I think it'll be a little more rocking than like what you're used to seeing, which is by one thirty, you got about. 20,000 people scattered about the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I think I think it's going to be a little better than that. Now, people are excited about this team. And, of course, you're going to get UGA fans just wanting to go see Nick Chubb. Of course. I think that wraps up Falcons covers this week, and we'll take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings' stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN, that is T-P-P-N, to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TPPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. You know, Adam, lately I've been listening to a lot of Bob Dylan, and it's been great. One reason that it's been great to listen to is not only because Bob Dylan's the greatest songwriter of all time, but because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to listen to him. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever with optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. These earbuds are so comfortable, and they will not budge. Raycon's gives you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycons everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. A couple other things I like about these earbuds, Adam, Raycon earbuds, is noise isolation. It always sucks when you're listening to something, but the outside world is getting in your earbuds. You switch on your noise isolation mode. It's like you're in the song, man. And then you also got earbud tap functions. You don't have to pull out your phone to skip a song or uh, turn up and down the volume. You can do it all with earbud tap functions, Raycon pause, play, fast forward, etc. Skip a song. It's good stuff. So if you want in on the great sound of Raycon earbuds, go to buyraycon.com slash TPPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash TPPN to score 15% off. And we're back. Adam, Brave season's winding down, man. We got the series of the Nationals are wrapping up today and tomorrow, and then it's the Mets to probably to decide the division this weekend. 
Let's talk about this, though, Adam. We're one game behind the Mets. One game behind those pesky, pesky sons and guns that keep doing just enough to hold us off. I was talking to friend Kendrick, who's a Mets fan. Always wears his Mets gear whenever he's out. Oh, yeah. I was talking to him on Saturday, and I was like, I'm sorry, man, but like, you guys might win the division. But you won't win the war. It, that team's not winning a World Series. You don't think so? They're not good. They've they've got sure. Okay, okay. First off, <laughs> they've got you Scherzer cannot, and Degrom. You cannot say they're not good. They've got Scherzer and Degrom and Alonzo and Lindor. And if Alonzo and Lindor and a great bullpen are not going, that team that offense is nothing. They got nothing besides those two bats. That that's how they they st- like they had all those grand slams last week against the Brewers to keep them in the game. It was every time Alonzo or Lindor. Whereas we. We got Robbie Grossman giving contributions. We got Arcia hitting home runs still. Like, anyone can beat you on any night for our team. For the Mets, just don't let Alonzo or Lindor beat you, and you're going to be fine. Mark Kanha is not going to beat you. Uh, Brandon Nimmo is not going to beat you. None of these losers are going to beat you. And DeGrom's even getting beat by the A's now. I saw that. He gave like five runs to the A's this in like four innings. This team is not winning a World Series. Like their World Series is this division race. If they lose it, that will be just heartbreaking for them. And then they will go out in the first round to of Philly. the wild card to Philly. Yeah, wow. absolutely. If they win the division, they're still going to lose the first round of the playoffs. It doesn't matter. Wow. They suck. <laughs> no good. I don't care what happens. Oh, I love the take. Uh, man, so Adam went to the game. When did we go to the game? Last Tuesday, the Braves game? Last Tuesday. You hung around with Steak Shapiro. He must have given you some advice about having a strong take and not just being like, oh, shucks. Well, sure. You know, maybe they'll be all right. Maybe, you know, he's coming out. Adam is spitting fire. That's not an opinion. That is fact. I've, so I've, it's the fact that a 97-win team that's 40 games over 500 sucks. Yeah. That's 8-2 and two in their last 10. That is a 50-26 and 26 home record. They are top heavy, Graham. Ninety-seven and fifty-seven sucks. They are top heavy, and they're lucky that their schedule is so easy right now. Because otherwise, they would definitely have no chance. And uh, you know, they beat on us, beat up on us early in the year when we sucked. Um, I'm not impressed with this team. I don't think they're good. Like, there's no way they're going to win the World Series. Well, I don't know about that, but. I would say, you know, if they do ride their horses and their horses are healthy, they have as good a chance as anybody, I think, to win the World Series. You think th- you think they're beating the Dodgers? I think they could. I think when you have, if you have Scherzer and DeGrom at the peak of their powers and their offense doesn't get totally shut down by that pitching staff, which could certainly happen, um, they have a chance to beat the Dodgers. I'm not saying they will, but they, de- they definitely have more than a puncher's chance to beat the Dodgers. I think you're undervaluing them a little bit. Even though I understand where you're coming from. They are top heavy, but they're because they, I mean, the thing is also they won a lot of their games without DeGrom. They won plenty of games without Scherzer. Like they had, like Bassett's a really good pitcher. They have a great bullpen and their offense doesn't strike out that, that much. They're not a powerful offense, but they're not like terrible either. So it's like, they are a good team with a really good manager and they should be feared and respected. I think. Well, that's another point. What has Buck Showalter ever won? He's won a couple Did of playoffs. Did he win with the Yankees series. in the 80s? No, I don't he, think he, he was with them in the 90s, too. He's never won a World Series. He's never right? won a World Series. He's a regular season manager is what he is. I will say this. So for those of you who want to support what Adam's saying, 
The last time Buck Showalter was in the playoffs was 2016. I'll remember this for the rest of my life. Uh, it was in 2016 with the Orioles. It was a wild card game against Toronto. You've got Brad Brock, who was one of the best closers in the game at that point in time, sitting in your bullpen. It's a tie game in the ninth inning. Top of the order's coming up. You know, you got like vintage Jose Bautista and shit, you know, guys got a face like that. Instead of going to Brad Brock, because it wasn't a save situation, he went with Ubaldo Jimenez mm. and lost the game. Ubaldo Jimenez, who has really not that much bullpen experience, wasn't very good from the regular season, goes with him for some reason. Buck Showalter is not above making dumb decisions in the, in the playoffs. And he's done that a couple of times when the, when the Orioles went to the playoffs in 2014 as well. They had a lot more success that year. But to support what you're saying, he's never won a World Series. He's never been a big-time postseason manager. He's never even gotten to the World Series, I don't think. So, And the funny part is, it's like every time he leaves a team, they win the World Series, it seems like. Leaves, you know, gets fired from the Yankees 95. Yankees win in 96. Gets fired from the Diamondbacks. Next year, Diamondbacks win the World Series. Didn't work out for the Orioles. They just sucked for five years after that. But point being... You are kind of right about that, even though you don't know what you're talking about. I know, I know what I'm talking about. So right now I'm looking at risingapple.com. Rising Apple. Yeah. Is that is that the Yank or the Mets uh, based off the that that stupid Apple that comes yeah, up in center field? This is uh, the Mets page on FanSided, and the article I just pulled up was three reasons why the Mets should be more confident than the Braves. Number one. <laughs> Not a terrible point. The Mets have the dynamic duo of DeGrom and Scherzer. I mean, we've got... I'll put Freed... I mean, Strider not being healthy we is a little talk scary. About that. We will talk about that. But, you know, Freed, Strider, right? You know, the, the, they're, no, they're no slouches. Sure. Number two, the Mets have a more trusted manager at the helm in Buck Showalter. That's a bad opinion. Brian Snicker, they, they don't know anything. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we have the reigning World Series champion manager. Number, said he was not also above making some silly decisions, but he's won a championship. He's won in the postseason. And then basically Edwin Diaz over Jansen. Well, that's yeah, 100% accurate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's fair. Their but bullpen's better than ours, I'd say. There's there's other other things to mention as well, though, like uh, our offense versus their offense. Sure, and, which uh, I assume they conveniently left out. They did. And, you know, after... I think we have more starting pitching depth. I mean, Carrasco and Bassett are fine, but I'm not scared of those Bassett's guys. Bassett's really good, I think. They're fine. He's been on my fantasy team for years. I know about Bassett. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I'm done with my rant. You're done with your rant. I appreciate it, though. That was like a uh, Graham Walter rant from 2017. If you're going to be in the opinion business, you got to have an opinion, as Stig Shapiro said. Yep, yep. He pulled Adam aside while he was Adam was sitting behind him plate and was like, listen to your show. You gotta have more of an opinion, Adam. So Adam's coming in hot with opinions now. Yeah, sitting in the Delta section just changed my life forever. Yeah. Now he's a bougie, overconfident, arrogant son of a gun. It did. I and I also another thing I'm worried about based off attending that game last week. This was the second out of three games to the Nationals last week at home, where Jansen came in with a two run lead. I think Dansby had hit a homer in the eighth to give us that two-run lead. And the first three batters for the Nationals bunted. It was terrifying because you have the combination of Jansen's slow ass not being able to move. This is where he almost 
took out Grissom right. at second base trying to field that ball. And then Olsen's just like be, all of a sudden becoming one of the worst defensive first basemen in the league. He made another error on a very easily playable ball. I don't know what the hell is going on with him. But I'm, I'm scared about this bunting against Jansen thing. Someone, one of the actual playoff teams, noticed that and is going to keep it in their back pocket. Oh, they definitely If could. anyone has the balls to do it. I mean, the Nationals, like these hitters were like 4A players. Like they're right. not supposed to be in the majors. Right. Uh, so that was their best chance. But, I mean, overall, Jansen's stuff is looking better, I must say. The last couple weeks, he's been a lot more solid. I think really since that Seattle game, yeah, he's he's doing what he's supposed to. He's, he looks better. He's I'm less still, concerned. I Well, I'm still concerned going to the playoffs with him. I think he still has nothing velocity-wise. His movement's gotten better. He's He's releasing the ball. When his body is lower to the ground, which is great, he's not releasing it when he's so you know still up top. He's following through. In other words, we don't need velocity. But I'm just saying he was throwing faster at periods of time in the year, but now he's still just sitting at low 90s. Um, as long, that cutter, as long as that cutter's moving, if it, along, that's the thing, and, and right? He can locate. We've it. talked about this when you don't, when when you do not have blow by you stuff, you have less of a margin for error, and in the playoffs, that will bite you in the ass. Because if you do not have your best stuff, you will get destroyed. And I, I really still don't trust him, even though I know the results have been better. And I really wish the results weren't so that Snicker's hand would be forced. I think this is really going to bite us in the playoffs having Jansen as the closer, despite him having much better outings recently, which is, which is true. But I think you still run into the issue of stuff isn't as dynamic. He still kind of has, you know, those location issues could still come up. It could still bite us in the ass. He's not a guy that I'm like, we're like with Will Smith last year when it was like very clear at this point in the year, holy shit, Will Smith is actually good again. I'm st- I don't feel like that overwhelming sense of effusive praise for Kenley Jansen's outings recently. I thought it was a great sign. The game on Sunday against the Phillies where we were coming off the three-game losing streak. We won Saturday night. This game was back and forth. Charlie Morton gave up like three different leads. There's a two-hour rain delay, and it's like a game we really, really needed. And the offense kept battling, and the bullpen came in after the rain delay and just absolutely shut it down. Chavez, inning and a third. Dylan Lee, a clean inning, one inning, three Ks. He's back. Yeah. Iglesias uh, gave up a couple hits, but he gets out of the inning. And then Jansen comes in with what I believe was a 6-6 game at the time. And it's like classic, oh, Jansen's going to blow this, all this hard work. Clean inning. Yeah, you know, he was good on Sunday. I, I think that's a great sign. It, it is a good sign. I, I'm still just not I'm not over the stuff that's been happening yet. It hasn't been long enough for me to have enough separation. Well, we're not here stuff. for your emotions, Graham. Well, you're here for my we're, opinions. I'm going to give them to you. No, that, that's your emotional opinion. We're here to see. Are you talking about emotional opinion? <laughs> saying a team that's 97 and 57 sucks. That's an emotional no, no, opinion. No, that's factual. That's I'm, fucking I'm, ridiculous. I'm looking at the lineup. You got to look at what you're seeing on the field. You got to look at also the not, bottom line results in a team that's 40 games over 500. You're, you're just doesn't a, suck. You're a little scared about Jansen. That's that's uh, your emotions. It's not emotions. That's based on reality. No, no, no. You're you're just thinking. You're back insane. To a month ago. You're driving me insane. <laughs> insane. But point being, Jansen has been better. We cannot deny that he has been better recently, and the bullpen as a whole has been better recently. The offense is still very hit or miss right now. Literally. Michael Harris is still just the beast, the absolute beast of the world. I cannot get over how fucking good this guy is. 
we, we can't say it enough. There's nothing really to analyze at this point. We've talked about all the splits. We've talked about how August and September, he's just been on an unstoppable force of nature offensively. Um, I mean, without he is so critical to what we're doing. And I love, absolutely love that Snicker once again listened to a podcast about like three weeks ago and moved Michael Harris up to hitting fourth. Loved it. He's hitting fourth. He's, he hit second on Sunday. He's a top-of-the-lineup guy. Yeah. Uh, with, with Olsen getting moved down to fifth. But Olsen, we all know he's been struggling. But also, like Jansen, the last three or four games, we've seen something. Since they, they he finally got a full day off Saturday, comes back, hits a home run yesterday, had a, a couple of doubles the other night. It's progress. Yeah, no, he's he's actually squaring up the ball. Which is the big thing here. Like, forget about the results, even though some of the results have been good. The fact is, he's squaring up the ball. Even on the sacrifice fly against the Nationals the other night in the eight nothing win, he crushed that ball. It was just right out of guy. Still driven a run, great. But even if there wasn't anybody on, I'm like, great. You're actually squaring up the ball. You're bailing up the ball. You're hitting it fucking hard, and you're pulling it. You're pulling it. You're crushing it. But you're not. You don't look like you're trying too hard. So that tells me Matt Olson is getting back on track offensively, hopefully. And I think he's still striking out too much. He's still having a you know a high you know I think in back to back games against Philly he struck out three times. Um, he's still striking out way too much. He's not walking enough, but he's making better contact. And honestly, this is kind of sad to say at this point. That's all we can really hope for for Matt Olson is to continue to make good contact so that he can come up with big hits in the playoffs. Because I don't know what we're going to get from him at this point. I still think hitting him fifth is a really bad or, or fourth is not a good idea. When you got Wilson Contreras, you, you're telling me you want Matt Olson right now, who in September is still hitting 127, 222, 228 with a 450 OPS to be hitting below potentially a Michael Harris, a Wilson Contreras. Hell, even Marcelo Zuna has had a better September than Matt Olson. Like he should be hitting eighth or ninth at this point. He is an albatross offensively. Even though I know he's getting better, but I, I he does not provide the kind of impact game that necessitates hitting fourth or fifth right now on a consistent level. You said it. I was going to ask you though. What do you think about Marcel right now? It's weird, man. You see that game last night? Yeah. His swing was so easy, and he also got another big double in that in that like three or four run inning where it was a breaking pitch that wasn't a super hanger or anything. He waited for it. He was patient, and he drove it to the opposite field gap. I was like, holy shit. This is the kind of stuff we were seeing in 2020 where, yes, he was a great fastball hitter, but he could also adjust the off-speed pitch when he needed to. And I kind of want him to keep getting at bats right now. I mean, you're a stats guy, right? Yes. I got stats for you. Bring it on. September, he's hitting 333, 381 OBP, 564 slugging. 945 OPS. Yeah, that's great. Uh, two homers, seven seven RBIs, eight strikeouts, and 39 at-bats. That's not terrible for him. No. Um, he's got to keep getting at-bats. I can't believe I'd ever say that, but he is uh, he's figuring something out, and he's figuring it out at the right time. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can keep slotting him. But this is the thing. Like, him just being so shitty in the outfield. It's like, you DH him. You but, d- but then you lose Contreras. Oh yeah, and then the whole fucking Darno. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, damn it. that's a pro- yes. Yeah, Ozuna not being able to play left field 
competently is an issue. And that's the issue I just forgot about. So, yeah, like that's the problem with Marcel, right, is that you cannot afford to play him in the outfield in the playoffs. One, we've seen it many times where one gaffe in the outfield can lose a, a ball game in, in a playoff game, and you just cannot afford to do that, and that's what sucks about this right now. But, yeah, he's got it. I mean, he's doing his job offensively, so, you, you know, if Contreras needs a day off, put Marcel in there. But uh, I, I am liking what I'm seeing from him and his approach, like I was talking about. Um, Von Grissom is, is ghastly right now offensively. Arcia is getting starts over him. Arcia had a home run in the in the Washington eight nothing victory, which is the last Braves game um, that we saw in terms of when this episode was recorded. But Arcia is starting again tonight against Washington. Do you think that Arcia has officially leapfrogged Von Grissom as the starting second baseman? Maybe. I mean, let's let's see what he does. I think he's also just incredible uh, in Washington. I think he's got home runs in four straight games in Washington right now. So they Could, might just be, be a thing. Might just be riding that out, um, but we'll see. I guess there's still the possibility that Ozzy can make an appearance at some point, but it won't be until the playoffs, though. Yeah, or like deep into the playoffs. Like we probably have to be in the NLCS or the World Series at that that point for him to to actually play again, um, which but, blows. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's definitely a gap. They got, they got ten games to figure that out between Arcia and um, Grissom. What do you do if you're Snicker? You split like you play him like every other day and just see who steps up, or do you give a guy a run for a second? How do you evaluate? I mean, yesterday was Arcia's first time really playing since he came back. So, I mean, if he gets a couple hits again tonight, keep running him out, ride him. Yeah, yeah, just see how it goes. Maybe Grissom needs a couple days to sit and kind of figure it out. Yeah, maybe. He's just been in a slump for a while, though. It's kind of last like th- three weeks now. It seems like he's just been a little lost to the plate, which he acknowledged. He knows that he's not doing well. He's not oblivious to it. He's not trying to do the same thing over and over again. He said, I got to work on this and that. I'm chasing. I'm, I'm, I'm not letting the game come to me right now. And, you know, the matter of words, it's what he was saying. So it's like, there, that's a little concerning to me because I, I still don't feel like RC, you know, who knows? Maybe RC is one of those postseason legends and just pulls off some incredible run like an Eddie Rosario or Mark Limke, you know, guys we've seen do this for the Braves in the past that didn't really have like sterling uh, regular seasons. But let's talk about the real big elephant in the room, Adam, because those are all issues going on right now. But the biggest issue the Braves are facing is Spencer Strider going on the injured list for that oblique. That is absolutely devastating. When you talk about pitching depth, not if you potentially do not have him for that opening round in Philly. I still think you can beat Philly, and they're not playing that well right now. I think they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. And playing them at home, it's like we crushed them at home. Yeah, I'm not too concerned about them without Strider. But anyone after that, if we do beat Philly, we are fucked. You go to play the Dodgers without Strider, forget about it. you got to have Freed, Wright, and Strider, whatever order you want to put them in, humming at the top of their game if you want to beat the Dodgers. We cannot beat the Dodgers without Spencer Strider. I mean, last year we beat them with less. Like, Strider is a luxury at this point. He's so important. Though. Oh, no, he is important. But who, who do you re- no one you replace him with is better than him. No, of course not. But I, 
I'm not going to let you use your absolutes and say that we we cannot beat them without Spencer Strider. Absolutes. The absolute that the 97 and 57 teams sucks. Oh, well that's that's very different, Grant. That's very different. That's very different. But but you cannot you cannot not be concerned about that. Of course I am. But do I do I also did we expect Kyle Wright to step up and be a stud in the in the World Series last year? No. No, we did not. Or do we expect him to win 20 games this year even though that stat is meaningless? No. Could could Bryce Elder be that guy in the playoffs for us this year? Let's talk about Bryce Possibly. Elder. Let's talk about Bryce Elder a little bit in terms of who who's going to replace Strider at least for the time being because Strider's apparently he they didn't think he was going to go on the injured list. He went to go play uh, to warm up on Friday or something, and then he still felt the oblique was a problem. So they they put him on the injured list retroactive. So I think like the 18th or 19th or something. So conceivably he could be back next week. Um. But he will miss the Mets series, which blows. But point being, Bryce Elder comes back up last night, starts, goes the distance, goes nine innings, goes up six hits, and uh, wins the game. Really good performance overall. And I will say this. Even though he's only really pitched well against the Nationals and the Marlins, I'm much more impressed with how he attacks the zone than I was earlier in the year. It felt like it was a struggle. Like I remember going back to like the Sunday night baseball game early in the season against San Diego where he only went like three and two-thirds and walked like five people. And every inning there was a guy on base. And I was like, Jesus, this guy just can't figure out from a control standpoint. Now when you watch him, even though neither one of those offenses comes close to San Diego's, he's attacking the zone. He's mixing up his pitch as well. Even though his pitches don't have like a big discrepancy between the miles per hour in terms of the velocity they are, he is really doing a good job of hitting the outside and inside corners, attacking batters' weaknesses, inducing weak contact. Um, and I'm liking what I'm seeing from him. If, for whatever reason, Strider cannot go, Bryce Elder has to be, to me, on the postseason roster. I don't think there's anyone else in the organization. You can give me Kyle Muller. You can give me whoever else. I don't think anyone else is going to give you as good of a chance as Elder because he's come up, even though it's been against lesser teams, he has pitched really well. I think you reward that. I think you absolutely reward that. He's now given up, really since he's come back up, he's given up two runs and four starts, like we said, against the Nationals and Marlins. But that's the Kyle Wright comparison is last year, Kyle Wright spent the entire year at AAA because he was doing the same thing. He was just you know picking around the strike zone, trying to be perfect. And Bryce Elder has come out and said after his start last night, like his time in Gwinnett this year, like that's what he realizes. You cannot try to be perfect. Like you pick your spot, you throw your best pitch. If it gets hit, it gets hit. But he's confident that his stuff is good enough that it's not going to get hit. But you, the old tip the ball cap if it does. And that's, you know, this organization is like doing a good job developing these young pitchers and kind of teaching them that. Just like agreed. It's like with Fulty. Fulty was just trying to be too fine. All the time. Yeah. Too perfect. And that he was such a head case. But like these guys coming up now, it's just like, hey, here it is. Hit it if you can. Um, and this time, these guys going down to Gwinnett has been huge. And uh, Elders is a big time prospect. And it's awesome that we have him as an option. Like, obviously, I hope Strider is going to be okay because um, he is just next level. He is that Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom type dominant but hey we, we could run out there with worse oh yeah for sure and a lot of these teams haven't seen this price elder either no so. and they, they're not gonna have a big sky report on him which is beneficial to us for sure but i, I really hope 
unless Bryce Elder can pitch like he did last night against the Dodgers or the Mets. I still, I'm still very worried about this team's prospects in the playoffs coming up. Even like, also just like the offense, the offense's lack of just sort of, they've just been very boring to watch. And they blew out, blew up for eight runs last night. But it's like, strike out a lot. And they picked up against Philly, so maybe you know, f me. But at the same time, like just over like the whole September month, it just feels like no one's really, except for like Harris, and uh, really just. Like Harris and Ozuna and a couple other guys, um, no one's really killing it the way I want people to be killing it going to the playoffs. Not gonna be super hot, but it's just it's just a malaise period with this this offense. I tell you what, Graham, I'm looking at these. We can't look ahead to the Mets right now. And by the time this episode comes out, it might already be cleared up. But like, we got Mueller going tonight, who has not been good in AAA his last few starts. He's still coming back from that uh, whatever injury that was wrist, I think. So, but he was really good for a while in AAA before the wrist injury. Okay, so he has not been good. And then Odorizzi tomorrow, <sighs> who like I think Elder is going to make it over Odorizzi, even if Strider is healthy. You cannot have Jake Odorizzi on this postseason roster. He, he had provi- that one good start. He provides nothing, nothing. But yeah, give me give me Will Smith back right now over Odorizzi, please. Yeah, with the way he's pitching. But, yeah, I totally agree. Elder, even if Elder doesn't make another start the rest of the year, I do not want Jake Odorizzi sniffing the postseason roster. Okay. Graham, just because I brought the name up and we're Atlanta sports fans and we like to be in pain. (laughs) (laughs) Will Smith, September. Ten games. 193 ERA. Mm. 9.1 innings pitched. Uh, 161 average against 0.75 whip. Is that good? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Let's see this strikeout to walk ratio. Nine strikeouts, zero walks. He's in postseason, Will Smith. So what's going to happen is we're going to meet the Astros in the World Series. Will Smith's going to close out game seven against us. That would be so brutal. While Odorizzi is on the damn... Taxi squad. <laughs> Only bad deal Anthopolis has ever made. I still think at the time it was fine. Um, no one thought that Will Smith was going to turn this around. Except for you. You were the only person out there who's like, Will Smith could still do something. But then he even did you, it last year. But you admitted also on this very air, you admitted that, that you were done with Will Smith. It was just July. He had a 9 ERA. June, he had a 2.53. Like... And then August, 3.27. Like, he just had eight bad games, and they just all happened to be in July. It looked like he was licked, but he definitely figured something out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those are the, my main concerns to the Braves. No Strider right now. Jansen's still not 100% confident in, and, of course, the offense sort of being really inconsistent. I think these three factors are very limiting in terms of our postseason prospects right now. It's not to say... You can't win in the playoffs or anything like that. It's just those are three big gaps for me at the moment. Also, everyone keep in mind that right now we've already won seven more games than we did last year. And there's like 10 games to go or nine games to go or something like that. Like this team is better on paper than last year's team. I won't, you know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if we. Went out this series against the Nationals, sweep the Mets, 
and then we're riding high. It's just like we're we're, we're kind of kept. There, there's been a few lows here and there. The Strider thing is scary for sure, but um, you know if Olsen gets going, Acuna stays healthy, we're in business. Yeah, if, if Riley can continue to play well, Wilson Contreras or William Contreras, excuse me, Art Contreras continues to play well, um, and Michael Harris continues to carry the offense. Then yeah, I mean. We have a good a good chance of anybody to, to, to win, I think. But at the same time, there are issues that are happening that need to be rectified in order for that to actually be true in my eyes at this time. But we'll see what happens. No one thought the Braves could win the World Series last year going into it. I sure as hell didn't. You sure as hell didn't, I don't think. Um, other than being like, yeah, it'd be cool. I guess it's possible because we're in. But um I'm I'm really looking forward to the regular season being over, especially with like football having been around for three weeks now. I'm just kind of like, it's let's just get the fucking playoffs going. I'm, I'm sick of playing the Nationals every other week. Like, come on. Yeah, it's it's hard to get jacked up for the Nationals because it's like you're supposed to win. If you don't win, you're miserable. Right. You do but win. If, if it's you still do win, like it's like okay, we're supposed to do that. Yeah, Good. it's like it's expected. I mean, this one's a little different because it's like you get to watch Kyle Muller, see what he looks like. Right. Um. Odorizzi, who the hell knows what you're getting there. Woof. So it's, it's a little different. It's not like we got Strider going against him tonight or something. Right, or Freed. Yeah. I do love that that Snicker readjusted the rotation to make sure that Wright and, and Freed are going to be pitching against the Mets this weekend. And I know you're not a wins guy, but Kyle Wright having 20 wins, the first Brave to do that since 2000. Russ Ortiz, I think. Yeah. Russ Ortiz. That's pretty crazy. It's cool. I mean, like, and like we've talked about, the the fact that you can win a game by giving up like seven runs, but you went five innings, but your offense is really good, just kind of can make wins bullshit. But the thing is, like, it's the stats beyond the wins that makes the wins possible. And he's been a great pitcher all year. And I know pitchers love getting the win, and he deserves it because he has had a hell of a season. So when you think of the 20 wins, also think about how fucking good he's been beyond that. What his actual stats are in terms of how good his ERA has been, his whip, his FIP, all of that has been excellent. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. So there's a reason why he has 20 wins. And as a fan, if you go to a game that Kyle Wright's pitching, odds are you're going to come out of there happy. Oh, yeah. Like two games I went to this summer, Kyle Wright pitched. I think in back-to-back games I went to over like two weeks. I was like, we're going to get a win tonight because Kyle yeah. Wright's just going to shut yeah. him down. So, I mean, it's thank God Kyle Wright's stayed healthy. Yeah. Knock on wood there. Um, He's had a couple of scares with the dead arm and whatever else that was. But, yeah, I hope he come keeps back. pitching well. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, big, big weekend for the Braves and Falcons. And uh, sorry, I won't be here to talk about it with you next week, Graham. Yeah, but uh, we'll find somebody to replace him. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm easily replaceable. Absolutely, no problem. Just plug any guy in here. Yeah, they'll do you know an adequate job, just like I do. Exactly. We're not looking for you know, you're at like point three war. I think we can replace that. Oh yeah, and be okay. Yeah, I'm no. I'm, I'm the Pedor of podcasting. <laughs> Should put that on your your tombstone. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up our show this week. Thanks for listening. Until next week, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitality. Hospitality.